Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some free ebooks and drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, including some episodes on breakups and relationship management. That's where all the basics are, so get a handle on that first. We've got boot camps running every single month here in Hollywood, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com. Looking forward to meeting all you guys here at AOC. Talking with Sean Stevenson today, not the same Sean Stevenson you've heard on the show. This one is taller than three feet. We're going to be talking about sleep, baby. How much is enough? What is optimal sleep and how do we get more of it? How your brain actually suffers with lack of sleep and why sleep is the missing component to long-term fat loss and optimizing your hormones and all that good anti-aging stuff as well and how sex can help your sleep habits for that matter and how to feel more energized and refreshed. So enjoy this one with Sean Stevenson, author of Sleep Smarter. Sean, you're the creator of the Model Health Show and very leading health expert that you're coming out with a really interesting book that honestly I could not wait to get into called Sleep Smarter. It just came out, in fact it just came out and so we're going to be releasing this show sooner rather than later because I think guys are going to be into this. First of all, I never really think about sleep at all unless I'm not getting it, in which case, you know, that sucks. But I think I'm not alone in that, right? I think a lot of people don't really think about sleep as that important. It's something you have to do at night, and then sometimes if you don't get enough at night, you do a little during the day, right? And that's kind of where people begin and end with sleep. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole subject of sleep is really... It's really kind of con confusing and crazy. One of the things that we don't really have is utility value for sleep. But what I want people to understand is the reason why sleep is so important is sleep is a force multiplier. And it can either enhance or diminish your results. And this is based on the quality of the sleep that you're getting. And one of the big keys here, and of course we're going to talk about all this stuff, but this is going to affect your human growth hormone production. It's going to impact your ability to focus your immune system, your ability to protect yourself from diseases because nothing can wreck your results more than just being down with something. You know, it's going to also impact your productivity, your brain performance. There's so many different aspects as to why sleep is like the secret sauce. And I just really can't wait to share this with everybody. Yeah, it's interesting because first of all, people don't normally understand the value of high quality sleep. I'm sure a lot of people think, oh yeah, you got to get eight hours. Everybody knows that, but it's beyond that, right? And and even that's not necessarily true. And you're going to share with us some strategies to help people optimize their sleep. And for me, this seems like a no-brainer, but I wouldn't have five years ago given two craps about sleep quality or optimizing sleep. And you're right. It, first of all, what do you mean by force multiplier? What does that mean? Because that sort of term is new to me. Got it. So it's basically something that creates an exponential push in either direction. That's not dropped another big word, but yeah. basically 
this is going to make things far more noticeable that you have problems or it's going to make things far more noticeable that you're getting results. And it's really as simple as that. So if your sleep quality is in a sucky place, then the results that you're looking for, they're going to be diminished exponentially. You know, but when your sleep is on point, everything that you're doing is going to get better. Case in point, let's go ahead and kind of get into it. Uh, one of the big things, let's talk about the impact on our brain. So one of the most important things, like especially a lot of stuff that you teach, Jordan, is just like the inner game, you know, and understanding specific tactics and strategies and ways to really get ourselves in the right state. But all the stuff that people learn from you, these things are going to be very, very short-term memories unless they get converted into long-term memories. Right. This is something called memory processing. And this happens while you're in the deep stages of sleep, the non-REM sleep. And when people aren't getting adequate amounts of this, what's called an anabolic state, like sleep is called a heightened anabolic state. If you're not getting that into the anabolic state, your brain is literally not going to be able to really cement all the stuff you're learning and make it a part of your DNA. Okay, so so anabolic is like building, because everyone's heard of anabolic steroids and stuff like that, but that's not just with muscles, right? You're talking about your brain building itself up, taking things you learn slash study throughout the day and right. packing them in the neat little compartments where they go that you can access them during your exam or at work or when you're flying yeah. a fighter jet or whatever. And it's nothing worse than like you studied something and then you get to the moment when you're supposed to do it and you can't remember how to do it, what to say. And one of the big issues there is, you know, this whole issue with sleep and people understanding how powerful it is for converting the things you learn into better performance and more long-term results. Another thing is that, and this is what the research showed, is that just one night of sleep deprivation will create a lack of about 14% of the glucose getting to your prefrontal cortex. So this is basically the front of your brain, like the human part of your brain. So 14% less reduction in brain food. So essentially what happens is you get dumber and we start making worse decisions at this point because your prefrontal cortex is responsible for things like thinking, distinguishing between ideas and options, which person to try to talk to or which exercise plan to do, what food to eat, social control. It's also responsible for that. Again, making the wrong and right decision. So all these higher order functions are going to be compromised. It's the same as me, man. I didn't care about this stuff, you know, especially back in college. And I also know when I was up late, I made some poor decisions a lot of times. So, and it's just one of those things where this is a primal thing that your amygdala, like the more reptilian part of your brain and your limbic system is going to take over and you're not going to be on your game, you know? So this is just scratching the surface on how this impacts our brain. And also, I could talk a little bit about the performance as far as work goes, if you want to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, because I think a lot of people are like, I don't care about my amygdala. I don't care about my <laughs> prefrontal cortex. I feel fine when I wake up. I get coffee. I go to work. My boss is happy. Who cares, right? I mean, or maybe that brings about this question. What does it matter if I'm not a super high performer, if I'm not an executive, if I don't run a talk show, if I'm not uh, an athlete? What if I just work at the DMV? Why do I need optimal sleep? I mean, to talk about putting lipstick on the pig, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I know you talked a lot about this on your show, is the fact that we all have gifts and talents. We all have this potential. And especially being somebody who's interested in even in these conversations that you're putting out there, we want to be more, you know, and even if we're working at the DMV, 
if you love your job, which I can't really see anybody at the DMV, it's like the <laughs> right. unhappiest place on earth. Like if you want to be depressed, go there and hang out, yeah. you know, but for people who want to be more, for to really step into your greatness, then you start to see why all this stuff is important, why having your body in a healthy place is important, why having your brain sharp is important, and why, you know, your nutrition and all that stuff really matters. And also, of course, the inner game and the strategies and the way that we talk to ourselves. If we want to be the greatest version of ourselves, you really need to understand the power of these things. And basically, all this stuff is really just getting back to what's real and natural and how our bodies are designed and how they're designed to perform. So for people that are already interested in performing at a high level, you know, we're usually taught in our culture that, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, just right. like, yeah, where our society, we devalue that, right? It's like, I'm a student. Oh, I only got three hours of sleep last right. four days in a row because I'm studying for exams and your parents are like, he's a hard worker. They're not like, you're an idiot. Your amygdala is dying. What's wrong with you? And what's happening there, there's two things. Number one, you're accelerating your aging because it tends to be, of course, when people are younger that this stuff really isn't on their radar. And basically, when studies are looking at people's telomeres, and these are like the end casings on your DNA, and it starts to get unraveled faster. So you basically, you start aging quicker. Your biological clock starts going off by you sacrificing and not really, we'll quote, burning the candle at both ends or burning the midnight oil or whatever. When you're doing those things, we're getting closer to being older, being our parents or our grandparents or whatever. But it's not necessarily a bad thing to be your parents. I'm not saying that. But we want to really be able to enjoy our youth and enjoy it as long as possible. One of the things we're seeing now in our culture, Jordan, is that we have this epidemic of early onset illnesses. And like I'm here at my clinic now. So I see cancers, you know, breast cancer, and people in their 20s now, diabetes in kids. You know, it's just like, what is going on? And it's these basic things that people are disconnected from. And for, again, the people that are interested in performing at a high level, it's this important study here. It was a physician study. It was published in The Lancet that showed that people who were sleep deprived took 14% longer to do a task versus the control group, okay, who were well rested. And they made 20% more errors. Oh, wow. So when we're sacrificing our sleep, like, you know, I'm just going to stay up and do this thing we're actually being less effective. There's a difference between doing something and being effective, you know? So what we have to do is start to strategize and plan our lives a little bit better and actually put a priority and value on sleep again because it's really not that difficult once you understand that it's important to kind of schedule it in and make sure that we're feeling good so that when we do the work, we're actually being effective at it. Right, yeah, that makes sense. This sounds like a joke, but I don't mean it that way. I wonder if they had like a drunk group as well, because I'm curious as to how <laughs> right. being sleep deprived actually compares with being you know, five beers deep doing a task. Yeah, yeah. The thing was, right at the beginning of my research, which I've been researching for this book for about eight months, but it was really early in the research. I saw a study, I cannot quote the percentages or anything like that, but there was a correlation to being drunk when you were at a certain level of sleep deprivation, you know, and I, man, I, you just reminded me, I'm definitely going to go and look that up because that can be one of those things that gets people to pay attention. Yeah. That's a powerful soundbite. Like when they say, oh, texting and driving is dangerous. People are like, oh, whatever. I'm a great multitasker, which right. we've also learned on the show isn't really a real thing. But if you're like, actually people who text and drive are just as dangerous in terms of response time and blah, blah, blah as drunk drivers and usually worse in terms of like reaction time and all that stuff, people go, whoa, really? Because everybody knows you don't drive drunk, but very few people go, 
oh, I shouldn't text and drive. They go, I can do this and put lipstick on and drive. Don't worry about right. me. Worry about yourself. You know, that's right. people get defensive about it. But when you can show numbers and studies like that, I think it's yeah. more powerful. So I, I totally get it. And once when I was a younger, I drove all the way from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Miami, Florida in one stretch with a buddy of mine and his girlfriend, but she just decided she didn't want to share any of the driving. So mm. what she did was whine about that, and she said, oh, I don't want to drive. So, of course, her boyfriend, my buddy, was like, oh, I'll take her stretch. And I'm thinking, no, man. Uh, if we're each driving eight hours and you suddenly have to drive 16, it's not just like, oh, you're a nice guy to your girlfriend. We could die. Right. It's not like you're doing her biology homework. If you're right. driving and I'm in the car. I do this not is, approve. This is not the time to be chivalrous. She would not drive. So I luckily is not with her anymore, but she would not drive. So we had to split his driving shift. And I remember there were times where he would like swerve out of the lane and I'd be like, oh my God, he's sleeping yeah. right now. And he would have his eyes closed. And I thought, we're going to die. So at some point we kept talking with each other and fighting with each other to make sure that we stayed awake for this stretch. God knows what was so urgent in Miami. We, we had to stay awake. <laughs> I remember at one point he goes, I know right now that I'm hallucinating. And I was like, pull over, it's my turn. We were literally just delusional, delirious. We had to buy some of those tablets. You, you know when you go to a gas station and they have those tablets and you're like, what does that thing do? What is Bee Stinger? And you, and you buy it, <laughs> the truckers buy it. They know what that stuff is. And it's basically like seven cups of coffee and one pill to keep right. you awake for the next five straight hours, you know, singing show tunes while you drive down the highway because otherwise you'd fall asleep. We were on those things and I remember being like, weird and jittery and teeth grinding and i thought this is how a lot of people live their life when they have right. really demanding jobs and they can't concentrate because they can't sleep every day you know there was some really interesting research that i came across because i just did an interview the other day and somebody called in asking about what about shift work you know like i work overnight sean like i hear all the stuff you're saying and i really believe in this but what do i do I told him straight out, you know, the World Health Organization has come out and said that shift work is a class three carcinogen in itself. What does class three mean? Is that like... So this is one of those things. It's not like glaringly like radiation, like is a class one carcinogen. And funny enough, chemotherapy is a class one carcinogen, but that's a whole other topic. That's designed that way, though. That's the point. Right. What's going on here is that when you're up overnight like that, you're getting very, very diminished secretion of melatonin. And melatonin might be our most powerful endogenous anti-cancer hormone, you know, so it's wrecking us there. And then we're talking about also your cortisol levels are going to be off the chart. And this is a good place to actually talk about the impact kind of on our body, on our physique, on the way that we look when we are either well-rested or we're uh, getting the, or we're in a state of sleep deprivation. By the way, never at one time in my book Am I saying like, you need to get blank hours of sleep? It's not about that. It's about optimizing the sleep that you are getting, which of course I'm going to provide a bunch of tips for that. So, Because there's no real number. I've read this. I mean, you're the expert here. I've read that a lot of people are fine on six hours and a lot of people are fine on 10 hours. But here's the thing. We don't usually know that number. We just get a certain number and we go, uh, I've been doing the six hour thing for the last five years. But really your body is the only thing that knows. You might get six hours and get by because you work at Google, but that doesn't mean that your body only needs six hours. It just means that you're only getting six hours and you've gotten used to it, but not that it's optimal, right? Exactly. There's people that sleep for 10 hours and still are tired. They still wake up tired because their sleep 
is problematic in some way. It could be sleep apnea. It could be all kinds of different things that we could get into. But And then also there are people who are just like, yeah, hey, I'm good on five hours sleep is what I do. But they don't really know what it's like to have a clear mind. Like they're constantly got this brain fog. They don't really know what vitality is until they actually experience it. And they're like, whoa, I was screwed up this whole time. Yeah. All right, back to the show. It's funny because you look at somebody, how many times have you heard this? Man, that guy looks tired or that guy right. looks like he hasn't slept in three days. We know what it looks like when other people are worn out as hell. Right. right. You just It's one of those things that we recognize immediately. And how we see it is that their adrenals are totally exhausted. And this all ties into the conversation of like what's going on with our physical body because what I want to point everybody's attention to is that if you're not exercising, if you're not training and you want to be the best version of yourself, we really got to get that together. You got to start training. But that's conversation one. And I'm just going to make that a given. I'm going to make that part of the proof that that's a given. People are training. Here's the other aspect. When you walk into the gym, people have the idea that, you know, I'm going in this, into the gym and I'm going to get this workout in. I'm going to be going to be fit. I'm going to be better in shape after this workout. That is totally false. When you do a workout, at the end of the workout, you're actually weaker than when you walked in the gym. You're actually in worse shape than when you walked in the gym. If you were to go and get blood work done after leaving the gym, you would have chronic levels of uh, inflammatory biomarkers. Like you might get diagnosed with something. Your stress hormones, if we did a hormone panel, would be off the charts. But the thing is, there's not anything wrong with you. You just did an intense workout. And that's called a hormetic stressor. And that's all good if you're creating the environment to where the hormetic stressor can become what it's really supposed to become. And the key here is that you don't get in shape in the gym. You get in shape while you're sleeping. That is that heightened anabolic state that I talked about. And you mentioned it, that word anabolic, we usually tie that to like Sammy Sosa, or Barry Bonds or something right. like that. But what that really means is anabolism is the building up. It's where you're secreting all of these rejuvenative hormones, your muscles are getting repaired, your bones are getting repaired, brain tissue. Catabolism, a catabolic state is breakdown, is everything is kind of getting broken down. Being awake in and of itself is inherently catabolic, just being up. And the thing is, it's not bad. We need both. It's not that being catabolic is bad. When you do a workout, you're being catabolic, you're breaking your body down, but you're creating the conditions. It's like the yin and yang so that you can actually come back better. But the secret is that it happens while you're asleep. That's where Number one, especially uh, when you train, that first phase or sleep cycle, and sleep cycles last about 90 minutes, you're going to get a tremendous secretion of HGH or human growth hormone. And that is also known as the, quote, youth hormone. And again, this isn't like Sammy Sosa, right? This right. isn't the cork bat. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your body, your pituitary gland being able to secrete this hormone. And you get a huge dose of that. And that is also known as the youth hormone, as I mentioned. And this is basically why kids have so much energy. It's just like they can run around all day. The parents are like, you know, sitting on the bench, watching them like on top of the slide. They're not supposed to be up on top of the, the whole structure. Like, right. get down, Billy, you know, and the parents just, they don't have the energy to go and get after them, Right. You know? Meanwhile, they lied to us our whole lives and told us it was because the other kid's mom let us eat Fruit Loops that we were so nuts, <laughs> right? Meanwhile, it was HGH because we got enough sleep. Right. That's the thing. It's like, what happened? Is it that because we get older, we produce less HGH? Or are we not doing the things that we used to do 
when our body had the opportunity to produce it. And I believe it's the latter. And a matter of fact, I've seen this in my clinical practice and I've seen it in the research. When you get more high quality sleep, you produce more human growth hormone. You stay younger. They don't call it beauty sleep for nothing. Like it actually does make you healthier, younger, and more vibrant. The science is there. Now, the other thing, especially for the guys, is a concern about testosterone. This is what enables us to have masculine features. It's not like estrogen is bad. We all have estrogen as well. But you don't want to get into a state where your testosterone is getting stolen. And that happens through a process called aromatization. Mm -hmm. And this process is radically increased when you're sleep deprived because of this. Just one night, just 24 hours of sleep deprivation can make you as insulin resistant as a type 2 diabetic. Wow. So, And you can grow boobs on top of it, right? So the moves, you can yeah. get the moves jumping off, the man boobs. Yeah. And it's because of this dysregulation with your blood sugar. So when your blood sugar is disoriented like that, what converts or, or switches over this aromatization process is due to insulin. Okay. So when insulin is like dysregulated and in your system in the wrong way, it can basically grab your testosterone and convert it into estrogen. And the opposite happens for women. For females, it's the opposite. Their estrogen can get converted into testosterone. And everybody knows that means body hair and big clitori. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good. Sometimes this stuff happens and a lot of women, they'll get acne. They'll maybe have a deeper voice. Adam's apple starts showing up. So they'll get what these are called secondary sex characteristics. We want these things as men, you know, but it's not that sexy on a girl, on no, a woman. No. Well, it depends on what you're into, but generally not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, it's each their own. But that's just one of the big issues is like your blood sugar. And also this is going to correlate to more storage of fat, especially around the, the waist area. And people are like, well, it's because I'm eating crazy or, you know, I haven't been working out. No, actually, it's because you're tired and it's making those other things suck especially the eating part. Because remember when I talked about the uh, reduction of glucose getting to your brain? Yeah. So when that happens, our primal amygdala, our limbic system kicks in, and we know from experience that we can get simple sugar in fake food, like in some chips or some ding-dongs or, or spaghettios or whatever people eat, right? And our brains know that, or like six bowls of cereal. Like I used to eat crazy bowls of cereal before I went to bed. Just understanding that, even though we might have the willpower or wanting like, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. But if you're sleep deprived, your willpower is not going to last long against your biology. Right. And there's studies that show this. It's a diminishing thing. A lot of people think, oh, you just need to power through. This is something entrepreneurs should be listening in and leaning into. If you've got to make a ton of little dumb decisions in the morning, like what kind of bagels everybody's going to get and you know how the parking thing's going to work and where should we get our new printer ink? By the time you need to make an important decision in the afternoon, you're like, ah, screw it. You know, right. and, and they've tested this on, scarily enough, judges. After Ooh, lunch, yeah. judges are like, guilty, get out of here. They don't even care. They're just <laughs> one after the study. other. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to get out of a traffic ticket or something, you need traffic court before lunch. And it's scarier when you're talking about bosses and politicians and yourself. You know, you've got to really make sure that you realize that your willpower is diminishing because just realizing that is helpful, but also, yeah, being well-rested because, you, and you've experienced this, when you're cranky or if your girlfriend's cranky or especially if you're both cranky, you're getting in a fight about something. It's happening because you just can't deal. Right. You can't overlook the little thing, you know? 
you step on her new shoes and she flips out. You know, it's right. because she's tired and the willpower's gone. Normally she just go, Ugh, you know, whatever, I'll just clean that up later. Instead, it's like it turns into a thing. I tell people that when you're sleepy, when you're tired, your best friend will look like your worst enemy. That's true. You know, yeah. it's just one of those things. But, you know, with all that said, so what do we do about this? Like I brought up the whole issue of exercise. So here's a tip to actually optimize your exercise so that you can actually cultivate and get better sleep. So here's one of the things that we need to do. I was a study, Appalachian University, and they had exercisers at three different time periods, 7 a.m., 1 p.m., and 7 p.m. What they discovered was that the group that exercised at 7 a.m. got 75% more time in the deep rejuvenative sleep state. So what we want to look at is, okay, even if your schedule isn't in a place where you can work out in the morning and you train in the afternoon, that's all good, but do something in the morning. What the studies show is that exercising in the morning will help you sleep better at night. So just doing something, you know, get up, maybe do some body weight exercises, do some yoga, do, you know, some rebounding, go for a walk or whatever, do something active because that's going to translate over and help you to get deeper sleep when you go to bed. Now, here's the big thing. And this is one of the things like, it just pisses me off. I just don't understand it. These 24 hour gyms, man, this is just crazy, man. So people can literally be up at like one or two in the morning and, you know, swipe their card and like going to the gym. That's cute. That's cute for a little Facebook post like, yeah, training at the gym, 1 a.m., what? What you're doing is you're literally wrecking your hormonal patterns, okay? You're forcing a, a cortisol secretion when your body should be right at that point deep, deep, deep down on the cortisol levels and very, very high in your melatonin levels to make you stay young and vibrant and all that good stuff we've been talking about. So when you're ignoring the fact that you are part of nature and your body's designed to be asleep at that time, then you're going to really screw up your hormonal patterns, possibly long-term. And again, when you're younger, and I, I don't really like when people say this, but you can kind of, quote, get away with more stuff. Right, right, sure. But again, you are still, you're accelerating your aging process within that. And this is where people run into problems. And this happened to me. You know, when I was 20 years old, I was hit with this, like, so-called incurable spinal condition, right? And the doctors was like, you know, there's nothing you can do about this. You've got the spine of an 80-year-old. And I had, it's called degenerative disc disease, Ooh. right? And I had two herniated discs. And the thing was, there was no trauma. I didn't do anything. It's like, why am I disc ruptured, you know? And long story short, two and a half years go by and I see five different doctors, all same story. And it wasn't until I made the decision to get well that everything changed. And I decided, it was just one night I was sitting on my bed and I decided that Come what may, I'm going to find out everything about this disease. I'm going to find out about everything about the human body, about health. And I'm going to live the life that I've always wanted to live. I'm going to live a life that's worthy of me and reach my potential. But because of that struggle and drama that I went through, it enabled me to like, man, I mean, I've reached like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. But I was in my own little story of like how bad it is and the whole world is messed up. And I was really asking the wrong questions. You know, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why can't anybody help me? Instead of asking things like, you know, what is it that I need to do to achieve my goal? What is it that I need to do to change? What is it that I need to do to get healthy? And, you know, one of the things that was going on then, obviously, is like playing like Madden all night long, you sure, know, online. Yeah. Till three, you know four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I changed the way I was eating. 
I started exercising because all the doctors told me not to. And I started to sleep. And funny enough, this is what happened. Six weeks later to the day when I made the decision to get well, it wasn't like rainbows and unicorns came out. You know what I'm saying? But I put a plan into action and I lost about 30 pounds and the pain was completely gone because I couldn't really walk. It was embarrassing, man. I had to wear a back brace and, you know, I was still trying to talk to girls and go to the club and all this stuff. And, you know, it's just all awkward, man. But anyways, the pain was gone. And I went back to see my doctor a few months after that. He did a scan. My disc had retracted and they regenerated. It wasn't perfect yet, but I just got a scan done last year and my discs were perfect. But I was told that this was impossible. My spine couldn't regenerate. My disc couldn't regenerate. But the thing was, they're operating from a paradigm of like, you know, once something's broken, you can't really fix it, especially when we're talking about degenerative diseases. And the reality is I wasn't honoring the laws of my body and I wasn't providing my body. The big thing for me in my case, Jordan, and for other people too, is like, you've got to provide your body with the raw materials that it needs to rebuild you. You know, whether it's exercise, whether it's just day-to-day living, if you're not providing your body with the stuff you need, like for your brain, your brain is mostly fat and water. If you're not providing that stuff, just a 1% decrease in hydration can damage your DNA and basically make your brain function start to suck. You know, so all these little tiny things matter. And it's just about, first of all, being aware of it. Second of all, putting this stuff in action. And again, like back in the day, I started to pay attention to sleep and getting my sleep on. I got better so much quicker, you know, and it led to me my brain turned on. I got my smarts back, you know, and I started to see things more clearly, started to see opportunities and started to, of course, attract a lot more people, a lot more women. It really transformed my life, you know, and I'm so grateful actually from going through that whole, that whole drama. So interesting. You know, it's funny. I have another friend also named Sean Stevenson who also has a degenerative disorder. Are you talking about the little Sean Stevenson? Yeah, little Sean Stevenson. Yeah. 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 yeah, he's like my um, alter world person. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he's super cool, man. And again, even him, he's like, at this point, he's looking at, okay, I'm in this situation. I'm still in love with life and I'm still looking to make an impact. He's working out now. Like, yeah. he didn't really do that before. No. Because he knows, like, that's going to pay dividends. That's going to make his job and his performance better. And, of course, he's got a wife now. It's like, all that stuff is going to pay off in every area of my life by taking care of myself. And we don't want to be like 50 years old when we try to get this. Like get this as soon as possible so that you can really be on top of your game far before anybody else. I love it. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Now back to the good stuff. So how do we start to optimize our sleep? I think we've sold everybody on the idea, right? But one of the things we've mentioned before we got into studio here was getting some exercise in during the earlier part of the day Right. And why is that important? I mean, I really don't want to wake up early to go to the gym. Why, <laughs> what, what difference does it make? Well, so what you're doing, according to circadian time clock, and again, this isn't like some airy-fairy thing, like, oh, circadian, you know, let's right. meditate. No, it's, it's, it's as real as the clock on your, on your wristwatch or your phone. We have a circadian hormonal secretion, you know, and it's just like women, you know. They have a 28-day cycle. We have cycles too. We have hormonal cycles and th- daily where our, our stuff is online, right? We're going to get a big secretion of cortisol around six or seven in the morning. And that's just through evolution. It's for the purpose of doing activity. And that's the time to really do some activity, you know, to do some kind of exercise. But again, it's not like 
textbook. You got I'm definitely not the neurotic type of person where it's like this, you got to do this. But just when you get up in the morning, do some activity, you know, hopefully you're getting up before like at least 10. Yeah. It depends on your age, but yeah. <laughs> so to do that, and what you're going to do is you're going to leverage that secretion of cortisol and it's natural secretion and not have to force it later on. With that, also, you're going to get the benefit of the human growth hormone and the more anabolic hormone production that I talked about earlier, too. So you're starting your day like this and you're putting your body in really a, a metabolic advantage, a fat burning state, you know, versus kind of just waking up and sitting down all day. Your metabolism is kind of just running on low fire. And this is, again, just clinically proven to improve your sleep quality at night. 75% more deep sleep because of work exercising in the morning. But here's a tip for people that do exercise in the evening. I would say definitely make it the early evening and make it at least four hours before you go to bed because there's something called thermoregulation. And basically our body's core temperature drops at night when it's time. It's setting up our body for deep rejuvenative sleep because it, it needs to be cooler. Like your body is much easier at being hot than cool. So it does a lot of work to cool you down. So if you exercise at like, nine o'clock and then try to go to bed at 11, you might have some problems. As a matter of fact, you might pass out, but that's not sleep. You're going to affect your sleep quality by not actually letting your core temperature drop. So if you wait four or five hours from the time that you exercise, what's been shown is that not only will your core temperature get back to normal, it will actually drop a little bit more than normal. So this will set you up for a good night's sleep there as well. So just say if you go to bed at like 11, just make sure that you're done training by like six. Okay, that's a good rule of thumb. So another little tip for people that are working out in the evening. Okay, that makes sense, especially with the training. Now, what about everyone's favorite villain, caffeine? You know, because I sort of noticed, you know, if I have caffeine after, it, it used to be like 8 p.m., I couldn't sleep that well. And now I kind of think it's like 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. <laughs> I mean, it seems like when I look at those sort of things and the less caffeine I generally eat, take in, the earlier I kind of have to quit before right. it starts messing with my sleep. Well, there was a study that was published in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine. And this was like a professor of psychiatry, behavioral neurosciences, Wayne State University. Like it was a real big deal. And they really wanted to find out about this. And what they did was have participants, they were given caffeine immediately before bed, three hours before bed, and six hours before bed. And all of them showed measurable disruptions in their sleep, okay? Even six hours out. Wow. And, and yeah, this is crazy now. And I'm not saying like I still love caffeine. It's not a big deal, but I'm going to tell everybody how to actually utilize it. But what they found was that when the caffeine was consumed, even upwards of six hours out, they monitored them. They actually used the, you know, the brainwave reading technology, sleep monitors. Yeah. Um, so this was objective. And they found that the participants lost one hour of deep sleep with having caffeine six hours out. Jeez. And here's why. This is the reason why. Caffeine has a half-life of about eight hours, six to eight hours, depending on your metabolism. What that means is after eight hours, half of it is still in your system. Oh, wow. So just say you have 200 milligrams of caffeine after eight hours. How much is that? Is that like a coffee cup? I mean, what's like a nice size? That's like a, a cup and a half of coffee or really strong coffee, maybe, maybe two cups. Okay. If you're having it even six hours close to bedtime, it could be a problem for some people. Like I said, the half-life 
after eight hours, half of it's still in your system. After another eight hours, half of that, and so on and so on. So this is why it can be a little bit of a problem. So with that said, what you want to do is if you're going to bed around like 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, midnight, then you want to make sure that you're probably done with the caffeine by like 2. Wow. So you need a caffeine curfew. Have a caffeine curfew. That's literally the name of the chapter. It's just talking about how to take advantage of caffeine because it can be awesome, but also we become desensitized to it. So I give strategies of cycling it because even if people are into like, you know, working out, lifting weights or whatever, there's caffeine in a lot of pre-workout supplements. And if you're not cycling that, you're going to get diminishing returns. So, So, but here's a question then. So if we get desensitized to it, does it harm our sleep just as much if we have it later or does it, so that sucks because then you're drinking more throughout the day because you need the buzz or the alertness, but then it still screws up your sleep just as bad as if you, oh, that's such a a raw deal. That's it. Exactly. Like it's one of those things where is we create this vicious circle. It's not working as well. So we take more. So we sleep worse. So we Take more. Need more. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Then you wake up the next morning feeling like crap. You have two mugs full because you need it. And then, boom, 11 p.m., there's still a ton of caffeine in your system. Oh, man. So that's actually kind of insidious and and vicious because you don't even see it. It causes you to require it later. Because I'm one of those guys who's like, I'll have coffee when I need it. I noticed that what happened after like a week was I had coffee every day. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's one of those things, man, where people can start off like they'll have a cup of coffee. It's just like, this is the best thing ever. Like, I love coffee. That's me. And that one, that one cup of coffee, like, it really does it for them, like, to get that effect. But over time, it's like, well, I'm, I think I'm going to need two today, you know? And just kind of because, again, you get desensitized. And it just takes, according to the research, about 12 days for that phenomenon to happen. And actually break down in the book what's going on there with the receptor sites and all that stuff in the book. But I make it makes sense. You know, I make it fun and engaging. It's not like a bunch of like MC squared type of stuff in right, the book. Equations, like, differential right? equations. Carry yeah. the two, divide by yeah, the power. Yeah, it's none of that kind of stuff, man. I'm bringing the studies into play to fortify the information that I'm giving, but then each chapter also has the power tips for how to apply the stuff that I'm talking about. So at the end of this particular chapter about the caffeine, I'm talking about having the caffeine curfew and making that cutoff time around 2 p.m., depending on your metabolism. And another strategy is cycling it. You know, even if you're going to do the caffeine, you're like, well, whatever, Sean, I'm going to have it later in the day. Just find a way to cycle it so that you do get the bang for the buck and you don't have to take too much, which is inherently going to affect your sleep quality. And what was interesting is that in the study, they took subjective tests, too. So the people were recording their sleep in a sleep journal and they didn't really realize at first, they didn't realize that they were losing sleep quality. They just thought everything was okay. But the sleep monitors were saying, hey, you weren't in the Delta sleep state as much. You weren't in the non-REM sleep getting that rejuvenative anabolic state. And that's why over time, like you don't even know that you're tired anymore. We just get conditioned to it. So yeah, man, that's another important tip. And I definitely want to leave everybody with a couple more things. Yeah, so so just to sort of wrap just what we talked about so far, as we know, sleep is amazingly important. One of the best ways to optimize it is getting some exercise early in the day. Another one is to have the caffeine curfew or just cut it out altogether and not have it after two if, if you can't be that guy. What else? Is there anything else? Absolutely. So this is what really, really did it for me. Like this was something I noticed instantly. I slept better. And people have had this experience too of like if they stayed at like a nice 
hotel out of town. They've got like those blackout curtains. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's just like sometimes you'll like go to sleep and then you don't even remember what happened. You just wake up and you're just refreshed. Like deep dreamless sleep happens, you yeah, know? Yeah. So I got some of those blackout curtains for my place because not only did I research, I experimented. I did so much crazy stuff, man, but I'm I didn't put a lot of it in the book. But and here's the thing, like an eye mask, yeah, that's cute. That's cool. That's all right. But people don't realize this, that your skin has photoreceptors that can actually sense light. That is really obnoxious. I did not know that. I mean, it makes sense because your skin makes vitamin D. Exactly. Exactly. We're like kind of like plants, right? So your skin has these photoreceptors that sense light and they will inherently, receptors will send information to your organs, to your liver, to your kidneys, to your hypothalamus and your brain. And it will tell your body that it's daytime. And thus you'll secrete a little bit more of these kind of daytime hormones. Namely, cortisol is kind of the big catch one of the day, but it's just understanding like we want to be sleeping like our ancestors, like get in complete darkness, like make your bedroom like a cave. And this is one of those things where it's not like, again, I don't care as much what time you're sleeping, but when you do sleep, make sure you black your room out. This is going to give you a lot of leverage. It's going to help your body produce more melatonin and you're going to get deeper sleep. Of course, there's higher levels of playing this thing. Like if you really want to get like your sleep black belt, right? We can talk about the different hours that are more advantageous, but regardless, definitely get those blackout curtains, get it dark in there in your bedroom. So that even if you go in your bedroom in the middle of the day, it's still black in there. All right. That's what you want to do. You want to black your room out so that your body can really, really get into the deepest levels of sleep. Wow, I never even thought about that because I sleep in San Francisco in my apartment. I've got windows on several sides, so I've got all this ambient light coming in. It's not bugging me as much because I'm I'm next to Jenny, my girlfriend. She's yeah. actually not sleeping very well, and I'm like, is it the noise? Is it? And I'm wondering because she's sort of blocking a lot of the light for me because where she's sleeping, I wonder mm-hmm. if she's getting all that ambient light because mm-hmm. she normally sleeps like a rock. So same thing. Yeah, I've seen that too. This is just one of those things, too, is like, if this sounds even a little bit interesting, like, just experiment. Yeah. Try it out and see what happens. And most likely, you're going to find, like, whoa, I slept a lot deeper. Like, I feel a lot better by sleeping in that blacked out room. So here's another one. This is another really interesting thing that I found in research. And I've dedicated a chapter to it. And the chapter title is Have a Big O, right? So have an orgasm. So for people can do, (laughs) not a problem, (laughs) no problem. So this is one of those things where, you know, I looked at the research and it was so interesting finding that people with issues of insomnia were able to get deeper sleep by having an orgasm. And this is because when you have an orgasm, we're secreting like a cocktail of of chemicals. (laughs) Yes. Along with everything else. Yeah. Right. Right. So in Kefleens, vasopressin, serotonin. And the most interesting one, as far as, you know, what I put into the book and the data that was just really jumped out at me was this hormone prolactin, all right? So prolactin and prolactin is this hormone that is attributed to like connection and satisfaction and men and women produce this when they have an orgasm. Now, here's the kind of interesting thing was that it's also related to, and what was found is that when we're in deep sleep, where we have greater concentrations of prolactin in our body. And when they give laboratory animals prolactin, when they inject them with it, they get sleepy immediately. So this is the whole concept of like sleeping together. 
it actually has a root because you get tired and you fall asleep. This was another interesting thing was that it was found that men who um, men secrete four times more prolactin when they ejaculate having sex with another person, an actual person, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then if there was like me, myself, and I, and if you're masturbating, so you're going to get four times greater secretion of prolactin if it's through actual intercourse than through masturbation, which is interesting. But you know, again, it's not like if you're single and you don't, you know, if you don't got anybody at the moment. It's all right. Right. Yeah. You do what you can. So if your girlfriend's like not in the mood, you say, honey, it's for your health. Exactly. It's for our sleep let, health. Let me give you a sleeping pill. Oh, you having trouble sleeping? Let me fix that. <laughs> Call me ambient. Yeah. Just think of Sean and I while you're doing that. <laughs> Talking to you while you're doing that. <laughs> no, keep me out of here. So, yeah. So that's another really interesting thing that people don't consider, you know, and I thought about when I was writing this chapter, I thought about uh, this recent Iron Man movie. He had insomnia. He couldn't sleep because of what had happened with the aliens in New York and this whole thing and the Avengers. So in this movie, he couldn't sleep well, but then he got some of Pepper, you know, oh, like his, yeah. his, his lady. And then he went to sleep finally. But yeah. of course, he had like this nightmare and almost killed her or whatever. But it's even in, in our common lexicon, in our common way of thinking that, you know, sleep, sex will eventually lead to sleeping. And good sleep at that. So there you have it. Excellent. Thanks so much, Sean. This has been really informative. And we're going to link to your book as well in the show notes. But in case you guys just want to do the Google thing, Sleep Smarter on Amazon.com. SleepSmarterBook.com is probably the best way to go yeah. for that. Of course, you've got the Model Health show on iTunes. And uh, awesome. you guys can get your sleep on. But, you know, listen to the podcast first. The Model Health show will put you to sleep. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, okay. man. Yeah, hey, it's totally my pleasure, man. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing and, and sharing all this great information with everybody, man. I really do appreciate it, man. Excellent. Excellent episode. You know, sleep is not something I normally think about. I think I get plenty of it. I feel like I'm well-rested most of the time, except for when I'm not. But it is nice to hack things like this, especially now you know how much is enough, how to get more optimal sleep, what things might be inhibiting sleep. And of course, now I've got a scientific reason to make sure that I have sex every night, which ain't bad. And I like the long-term fat loss and hormone optimization stuff. That stuff is all new to me. Hope it was new to you. Hope you guys learned something. And now you guys can feel more energized and refreshed on fewer hours of sleep, so you're welcome. Pick up the book at sleepsmarterbook.com or check it out on Amazon. It's doing really well right now. It actually, I saw it hit number one in three different health categories. So there's obviously something to it. And check out the Model Health Show on iTunes. Hope you guys enjoyed this one as much as I did. Solid show as usual, if I do say so myself. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details, that's our live training at theartofcharm.com. And that's also where you can find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's it. You guys can also help us if you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher. Give us a five-star rating and write something nice. We'll love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash theartofcharm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us in the ranks 
so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily and get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing training from us. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it. And don't forget audiblepodcast.com slash AOC for a free audiobook. Guys, I know I'm drilling this into your skull, but it really does help support the show. So even if you just get that one audiobook, it really does help us. So much appreciated, guys. Audiblepodcast.com slash AOC.